0: Hi, I'm Karen Tonas, co-founder of Bent Paddle Brewing Company in Duluth, Minnesota. Here at Bent Paddle, we make quality craft beer and cannabis beverages from the clean water of Lake Superior. The mission of Bent Paddle is to craft beverages with a concentration on sustainability for our business, employees, the environment, and the greater community, all while bending the traditions that we encounter for a unique and interesting beverage experience. On your way up to the BWCA, you can experience Bent Paddle's vibrant, family and pet-friendly taproom in the Lincoln Park Craft District of Duluth. Here, you can purchase cans of cannabis beverages to go or get a stainless steel growler of our award-winning craft beer for your Leave No Trace camping trip. Or you can find Bent Paddle at restaurants, bars and liquor stores, and now cannabis beverages throughout Minnesota Let Bent Paddle be the bridge that lets good memories and conversation flow while you're reflecting on the perfect campsite or the splendidness of the northern lights. For more information, visit bentpaddlebrewing.com or check us out on Facebook or Instagram. Bent Paddle is proud to support the BWCA and this podcast. Cheers. Happy paddling. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. This is the wilderness that
1: Dave and I were both introduced to as kids, you know. Our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling,
2: you can go hiking.
3: We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake and I remember catching
2: walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters and it was really cool, it was my first time. The route from
1: Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with with no packs, with with only a
2: day pack, Uh, we take it in one day. Well you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars, I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh and in the deep dark blue
1: Welcome to episode 91 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. I'm here with Joe Fredericks. Ah, Matthew Banksley, good to see you. It's good to see you, especially coming off of that ruckusy 90th episode.
4: We've had a lot of feedback from the listeners about the episode, which is where we, Eric Dickus and I, went into the Temperance River the day before the fishing opener, and ran the rapids. If you missed the episode, Episode 90.
1: Yeah, actually go back and listen to it before listening to this episode. Because we got a ton of feedback from you, our listeners, in the form of text messages, emails, social media correspondence, just letting us know how you felt about the episode and, and letting us know you're glad we're okay. Especially you, Joe Fredericks.
4: I want to say thank you to every single person that reached out with well wishes or just sharing some of their own experiences, both in the Boundary Waters and other wilderness and outdoor recreation where people have been in harm's way. Uh, thank you. Uh, I read them all. I They all had meaning. Thank you.
1: We really appreciate hearing from you all the time about the podcast. But this one it was a little more raw, and I, I... I'm understanding from your feedback, folks, that it left many of you feeling a little raw, too. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I was actually chatting with this with my therapist. uh, And she listened to the episode, which was great. And uh, she said, oh, my gosh, you had a crazy experience. Are you okay? And I actually was able to say, yeah, I feel okay. We had three days after the event to just work through everything that happened. You know, my therapist being highly skilled and experienced with these things shared with me that one of, that it made sense to her that I was feeling pretty good about it because one of the most significant terminers of being okay after a traumatic event is how supported you feel and making sure that you don't feel alone. And we certainly didn't feel alone those next three days.
4: And we had to work through some stuff out there. It wasn't just we turned the switch and, okay, well, what are they biting on? I mean, there were components of that, the fish, I mean, but uh, that it was a process for us and maybe for the listeners, that episode just end, ends at, okay, we're alive, conclusion. Exactly.
1: So we want to in- invite you listeners into the rest of this process with us so that you also get to feel a part of making sense of both the the experience of capsizing and almost losing Joe and the rest of the story of working through it. And to do that, we're going to start with hearing from Rick Slattin who you talked to about this whole event, who has some authority on the subject.
4: Well, we wanted to... Put into context, because for us, it was this very powerful, oh my goodness, getting swept down the Temperance River at high water, pinned behind this white pine, this log in the river. That's terrifying. How close was it? What was the danger, the threat there? And as you said, Rick Slatton, he's the captain of the St. Louis County Search and Rescue Squad and based in the Duluth area, but they cover the Ely side of the wilderness, this massive part of the BWCA, and also come up to Cook County and Lake County and do trainings. Rick is very influential and important and knowledgeable about search and rescue, tours all over the country, teaching organizations search and rescue tactics. So I asked him, point blank, he listened to the episode twice, episode 90. Rick, what do you think? What's the deal? Here's what he had to say. Like, how close do you think that, you know, I I was to facing, you know,
5: disaster or death? You were a hair's breadth from dying. And uh, what happened to you is you got caught in what's called a strainer it lets water go by but it hangs on to objects and it hung on to you and to hear you describe it bent in the, bent in the shape of a letter c that is almost impossible to overcome i salute your superhuman effort to push off and get that you know get yourself off the end of that log because that single act saved your life if and i am i again kudos to you for getting on it immediately one of the things that we see, in, uh, particularly in swimming-related drownings, you know, where uh, unplanned capsizing, person in the water, fully clothed, is the strategy for that is to swim until you die. That's how. We, that's the survival um, tactic that has to be employed. And so, for you to you're bent in the letter C on a log, that hydraulic current is incredibly powerful. That was a serious life-threatening condition is swift water capsizing caught in caught in a strainer. There there are trained swift water technicians who have died in that event. In fact, at our swift water training, we saw one. It's you know, it was a like a white water rafting thing, you know, like these big inflatable zodiacs with 12 people in it. And one capsized and uh went into a strainer and they didn't get out. So yeah, you done you done good. And you got right on it. Superhuman, push off. I got to get to the end of this log and get out of here. Because that strainer would have killed you. And I hope I don't cause you nightmares by telling you that. Because you're here. You did good. You did good, brother.
1: <laughs> it doesn't get any more real than that, Joe. Rick's Latin
4: is not one to sort of tiptoe around the situation and you communicating with words what he's trying to convey to you as you heard right
1: so you he almost didn't make it and it feels important i think on before we get into making sense of the rest of the experience it begs a question of You, Joe, are the most experienced Boundary Waters traveler I spend any time with. You're in there all the time. How does something like this happen to you?
4: For the very point that you just raised or suggest about me, I was very comfortable approaching those rapids because I'm in there all the time. I've been through this entry point four times and been in the boundary waters hundreds of times in the past decade, different canoe trips. I got lackadaisical about things. I put in above the rapids. I didn't feel superhuman or like I'm going to conquer this or get out of my way. I was just lazy about it and didn't read the situation, didn't take control. I was in the stern, and so didn't say, whoa, 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 hold up, back up, back up. We just got in, hit this stump, could have gone left or right around the stump, went right around the stump, but never pulled back, didn't hit the brakes. So for
1: you, there was not a moment where a little alarm went off in your brain that said, mm, danger, stop, evaluate. And, and that is really because of this sort of false sense of comfort that can come with being out there so much.
4: Exactly. It was just also within that level of comfort and everything's familiar and I know this place was bubbling excitement. To get to the campsite and get the fishing line strung up and start collecting firewood. And it's the first trip of the season and fishing openers tomorrow. And the group is here together and woohoo! A lot of excitement. Mm-hmm.
1: So, comfort with your surroundings and the main emotion you were feeling was excitement. And in that, what got lost was the the awareness that danger was in front of you. Correct.
4: Exactly. I can only imagine what we might have done different because we can This is what unfolded. This is the reality of the circumstances. But definitely taking a better read on that and, and seeing that the entry point had changed from that beaver activity where it sort of pushes you into this funnel that probably wasn't a good route. We're going to hear more about that later in the episode, that some other groups went went in in that same spot as well the day before we were there, some Wisconsin paddlers. So just that things had changed, the water's high, danger, Joe, danger, but I I didn't go there. I wasn't open to that. I wasn't reading that. So if you were
1: to there's a situational awareness that you're describing to be able to notice that danger and an internal awareness of noticing maybe when those feelings of excitement and comfort don't quite match the conditions of high, cold, fast-moving water and a really sort of maybe potentially dangerous change to a comfortable environment like where how to get off that portage that you had been on many times before so if you were to approach anything differently in the future can't change the past
4: what are you looking at for yourself slowing down communicating effectively as a group within the canoe reading the situation before shoving off from the safety point, which is often going to be near shore, slowing down, communicating, taking stock of the surroundings, not thinking about what's ahead, thinking about what's right here in front of us. What's the current situation? All stuff that I know just didn't put into play. What And I think...
1: Those are that's everything we did afterwards. You know, we actually took a good 10 minutes of assessing and even manipulating parts of that portage to make that exit safe. And we went r- further up and around to get on the water. But at that point, we only knew it was dangerous. We knew clearly it was dangerous because of what had happened to you. And we could have done that in the first place but we just didn't know yet.
4: You know, one thing I have given some thought to, I've never even mentioned this yet, Matthew, is uh, that was one of a series of rapids that we had to portage around. And there was one beyond there days later that we went up against above weird Lake going into South temperance. There's a small little puddle in between there and you got to get up above some falls there. And had we not had that experience that stretch of rapids was m- more treacherous than what we swam far more and maybe it would have happened there i think it's a really good point because that was
1: actually just as much if not a more tricky exit definitely uh that we adapted to approach safely went way around way out of our way going through alder and, and weeds and yeah mud and muck but there was no danger. And I think that's a great point. We did adapt and learn, and and that's a success of the trip. The only thing we're talking about is making sure that we do that before yep. an incident happens. And I think you're very keenly aware of that. And you want the listeners to keep that in mind. Because many of these many of our paddler buddies are going out one, two maybe three times a year to their favorite place and can also embody that sense of comfort and excitement.
4: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So hopefully everybody, again, who reached out, thank you for the best wishes and and hopefully you can learn from this in the way that uh, I have learned from it and everybody who was there that day has too. And So this is how we sort of uh, come
1: together to make something that was kind of traumatic, a little less traumatic with all of our brothers and sisters in the paddling community. Even K-Man, who was on the trip, has a little something to share about that.
3: So my nephew, he listened to the podcast. He lives in Chicago, and he has no, I don't think he has any Boundary Waters experience, but he listened to it. He posts the link on Facebook, and he says, K-Man, my uncle, my personal hero, and he posts the link to the podcast that I I I've chatted with him uh, a little bit, and I, I'm like, I'm not a hero. He's like, No, no, you're a hero, but not, not in the sense of anything you guys did on the day of the capsizing. But you're my hero because you went on the podcast, and all you guys spoke of your vulnerabilities of that day. And he's like, I just think it's, I just think it's great that four. Outdoorsy, camping, fishing type guys sit and talk about their vulnerabilities, you know? And he's like, that's why you're my (laughs) hero. You know, it's been two weeks today since that, uh, since the capsizing. And I mean, I'm still digesting it. I, I think I'm going through phases of of healing from that whole event and and my my brain works like I analyze I I hyper analyze things afterwards and I've been going through a lot of what ifs I think eventually you put the what ifs aside and you just look at the positive and what we take away from that all the good things we did you know like Joe is wearing a life jacket. We're all wearing life jackets. That's a good thing. You know, Joe found that superhuman strength to get off that log. Good thing. We all pulled together to rescue everyone, get everybody dry, get everybody safe, and then get our gear, get that safe. You know, we did a lot of good things, you know, so it's interesting how my, my mind goes to the what ifs and and the more negative uh, outcomes that could have happened. But, uh, um, I think it's all part of the part of the process.
4: We also heard from the listeners following episode ninety. These well wishes and glad you guys are safe, and a lot of that. But we also heard from people going, "Well, wait a minute. What else happened out there? Did the trip continue, or what else went on out there? Because that incident." occurred within the first 2 hours of the trip and we were out for 3 more days full days
1: mhm beyond that and it, and it was a, a ruckusy time for us and a roller coaster of highs and lows which we discussed on the trip around the campfire
4: We've just enjoyed a fish fry around camp. Fire's going. Matthew Baxley, how's the evening find you? Content is
1: the word that comes to mind. Joyful. Warm. Yeah.
4: Well, we've all just... <clears throat> uh, similar feel a full i would also <laughs> describe myself as being in the moment agreed uh, we've all just shared our story reflecting on the experience and now we're around this beautiful glowing fire and we're in the wilderness a couple days after all that
1: yeah almost two and a half days after that wild ride we all sort of took together—you especially.
4: Well, there was a a collective uh, processing of it that occurred the day before. Now, okay. so in between when the story you just heard and that we shared, and today, now this evening as we're recording this, a whole day went by, and there was and then, a
1: and then another whole day.
4: Yeah, and and one full day and night and a lot of ups and downs and highs and lows along that journey that also included some extensive wilderness travel. Yeah, it
1: was strange because coming off of that right at the beginning of the trip, I don't think any of us kind of knew what to do with it all Mm -hmm. other than keep going. You know get to our campsite we're here to fish and we kind of found ourselves pushing deeper and deeper in
4: yeah yeah and all those emotions came out <clears throat> people <was laughs> swearing and yelling at each other well, and, we got into
1: a nice fight
4: and uh, me really grouchy in the canoe and had to this today talk to Eric I wasn't a, that great of a canoe mate Yesterday and uh, even said at one point, "This is I'm having a bad trip out here. This isn't fun." Yep. Yeah. It was all part of that. What happened? Yeah. And today and even yesterday, in hindsight, was great. It was a fun day.
1: But it was an emotional roller coaster, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Fun. I mean, yesterday we. Saw things that I'd never seen in the wilderness before. It was great. And today I, I can't remember the last time I just relaxed so much.
4: Yeah. Saw a moose today. Right from camp, we had a moose hanging out, basically just across the river, the small part of the lake, just eating lunch, doing its thing. We're making hash browns, doing our thing. It was a <laughs> wonderful day. Yes fish fry Ca-
1: caught caught enough fish for our fish fry yeah and that was no easy task mm-hmm. I I laid in the hammock and read a book
4: jeez
1: and this yeah it it's really interesting to me I was saying to Dickus earlier like the brain is an amazing thing mm. the way that it we can cope with crazy things and keep going yeah like how i just put everything in boxes and left them there and then i didn't look at those boxes again until i was relaxed here at camp enough to kind of revisit it Yep. and we plowed through i mean yeah i don't want to get redundant (laughs) here but it's fascinating how we cope with unexpected things Mm and in in our own unique ways yeah i would I was kind of mean to you yesterday. <laughs> I'm really sorry about that.
4: I was mean to me too.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the worst part. <laughs>
4: well, here we are on this beautiful night in the Boundary Waters, and I'm very grateful to be here.
1: Yeah, me too.
4: Dickus, Mr. Eric Dickus.
6: Howdy, Joe. How's it going on this side of the campfire? Oh, it's nice and cool. Listen to the bugs. Looking at the beautiful skyline.
4: What's uh what's been your process of from when you shared the story of the play by play uh up until where we are now?
6: Take a big, deep breath and appreciate everybody I'm here with. You know, it's emotional. It was really emotional. I still get choked up thinking about it. But uh, the process was was long. Uh, like Matthew said, it was yesterday. was just a day to drive and not think we beat ourselves up so we went so far so many portages so much paddling breaking through ice to go get some brookies that didn't even end up being there and these portages were brutal all this madness this walking for all of us to work through some feelings I think is what it was and we wore ourselves out utterly I had to put the canoe down on a portage I've never done that Mm -hmm. I had to stop
4: yeah
6: and I think it was just good for all of us to work through all those feelings I know I worked through a lot of feelings and lots of talking with everyone one on one a couple of group talks but a lot of one on ones and just really appreciate all this I do appreciate it mm-hmm. it's emotional sad happy lots of stuff I'm smiling now <laughs> it's beautiful out
4: here yeah how about that fish fry it
6: was great walleye Smallies love them, yeah. Crisp, clean, no bones. Because no K Man cleaned them, <laughs> K Man's good too. Matthew. Great, great, great stuff, though. Yeah, that's all I got.
3: Yep, <clears throat> Mr. K Man Kramer.
4: Hey, Joe, what do you know? How's the evening? Find you, <laughs>
3: <laughs> man. Sitting around this campfire with you guys, this is just, just amazing. What a night!
4: What a week. You've done more canoe country adventures than the rest of us, so you're the veteran of the group here when it comes to canoe country travel. Where does uh, the experiences of this trip kind of line up in your history, your timeline, just your your experiences and connections and things that have occurred to you out here?
3: Well, every trip here is special to me. We were talking about this earlier, how healing the wilderness is for your soul and for your well-being. Time to reset, to just look back on your, just kind of reflect on your life, you know. But this trip was a little bit different in the fact that we had a pretty close to tragic experience. And how we dealt with that and made it through it is pretty special. Yeah. We didn't. I didn't. I didn't know Eric before we came up here. Eric Dickus. I knew him for less than twenty-four hours when we came up here. And when you first go on a trip with someone, I've never actually gone on a trip. I've known Matthew Baxley for. Years, but we've never done a trip. Last and, year, on opening. oh yeah, we did do a trip last year, but but to have four people together for the first time on a trip, you just never really know what to expect, yeah. and you never know how the group dynamics is going to work out. Mm-hmm. Like we were, you know, we just worked so well together on this trip. I mean, there's times where I imagine going on a trip with someone and I, I someone i meet out in the real world and i'm like i don't think i want to spend a half a day in the wilderness with this person but but so you you wonder you know like how what is the group dynamics going to be on a trip like this how are we all going to get along and uh man when adversity hits you find out quick and i think we found out immediately that we're uh, you know we work well together all four of us so that was pretty cool you know so
4: yeah and here we are now around the fire and it's gonna get down into the 30s tonight clear skies and we've got this fire and we're all safe tonight i'm feeling thankful to be out here around this campfire I can see that campfire on Weird Lake right now after I'm immediately transported back. It was such a beautiful campsite with the slope that goes down, that gentle grade uh, that fades into the water, and the moose across camp while we're making hash browns and enjoying our brunch, and just all of that in that warmth. And that was such a wonderful time to process the events that happened.
1: I think I. More than ever, I'm grateful that that group got to have that time to make sense of that experience. And even now, this group, listening to this with us right now, is along for the ride.
4: I also love that we stayed on Weird Lake. So weird. After having that weird experience. (laughs)
1: Everything was so weird.
4: I've got a story for you that I have not told you yet. Oh, Let's hear it. I'm at the gas station in Grameray Tuesday after we come out. We came out on Monday. That was the fifteenth on the sixteenth of May. I'm at the gas station. Local conservation officer Kylan Hill for the DNR pulls up. Hey, how's your trip? Because I had interviewed him about the fishing opener for WTIP. And how's your trip? Where'd you end up? I saw your vehicle parked at the Baker Lake entry point. Yeah, well, it was pretty interesting. Before I can even get into it, he says, you know, I saw some guys that were staging there at the Baker Lake entry point, and he's checking their licenses, doing the CO thing. So where are you guys heading? We're trying to get up to our favorite campsite on Weird Lake. And I had told Kylan that we were aiming for that. He said, well, I wouldn't bother. I know somebody that's already up in there. Really? No way. And then they were kind of questioning him like, "Is you're trying to just tell us this because you like fishing there? What's the deal here? (laughs) Giving him a hard time. (laughs) That group ended up staying on Jack Lake to the south because they got word that we were in there. And that's that group that came paddling through and they were kind of fishing near camp for a bit. Mm Mm-hmm. They heard about us. They heard about it. <laughs> that is the
1: beauty of this crew. <laughs> All types. It's a small world when you're a paddler in the boundary waters, Joe Fredericks.
2: <laughs> I just sing when I paddled. Feeling, not thinking if the strokes are true. We're going to get through to the other side. Out in the night the waves beat the shore You can hear them pounding, you can hear rock. roar oh, roll me, rock me in my dreams You can roll me, rock me in my dreams So I like to sing, I love to dance I play the fool if i got the chance All around the campfire light All around campfire light all round, all round, all round the campfire light